Tarp Warriors, Tansei Sego, Anibuju, Kuei Ninda Luizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today, I'm super pumped to be able to share a great discussion I had with an old friend, John Kane from the radio show Let's Talk Native in New York. So John and I have never actually met, but we have followed each other's work and Native activism, and we always try to support each other. I've been interviewed on John's show Let's Talk Native with John Kane on many issues, and he's never been shy to address the hard topics. In fact, he purposely confronts the conflict, the misinformation, and government propaganda head-on in his radio show, which he also posts as a podcast on SoundCloud, and he uploads to YouTube. On August 1st, 2019, John Kane and Shani Rice invited me to talk about genocide in Canada and how it relates to murder to missing Indigenous women and girls. John was gracious enough to give me permission to share our discussion on my podcast, Warrior Life. But what I'll also do is post a link to his SoundCloud podcast so you can listen to his whole show because it goes on for several hours and talks about other issues like racism, for example. And I'll also post links to his other um, uh, YouTube and his website. So without further ado, here's the interview. Um. Look, I've got a good show uh, planned for today. I've, I've got a uh, an old friend, and I don't mean she's old. I mean, she, we've been friends for a long time. Uh, <laughs> um, joining us here. Um, uh, Pam Palmer is, uh, she's, she's Mi'kmaq. First off, let me uh, make, that, make that clear. She is, uh, lives on what I call the other side of the imaginary line. Uh, she is, um, uh, she's an author, a lawyer, a professor, uh, and um, like me, an activist. It's the only place where we're, where we line up. <laughs> we're, we're both activists. Uh, she's a frequent uh, uh, political commentator. Uh, she appears on uh, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, uh, In Focus, CTV, uh, CBC. She is an associate professor and academic director of the Center for Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University. Um, and like I said, she, she's the author of a couple of books. Uh, I'll, I'll mention uh, uh, Beyond Blood, which is uh, one of my it's that's the book that I originally became aware of Pam Palmer over, uh, and, it, and it's uh, Beyond Blood: Rethinking uh, Identity and uh, and Belonging. So let me uh, let me welcome uh, Pam Palmer to to Let's Talk. Pam, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today, uh, today here on the show. Thanks for having me again, old but young friend. <laughs> well, it's been a long time. I, you know, when I when I finally reached out to you, and I said, you know, I don't I can't remember the last time you were on my show. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Well, I've been following your work though. I mean, and and I listen to your your podcast. I mean, you're also obviously you're a you're a blogger. You're a uh, a YouTuber. You're a podcaster. You do all of these things, and of course, uh, you are no stranger to to television, especially on the uh, on the. Again, on the other side of that imaginary line, that's where I see a lot of a lot of your work, and uh, and and I wanted to reach out to you for a while, and, and we'd, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and just trying to make it work out. And I'm glad you joined me on my New York show in particular. It's uh, it's great to have you. No, it's awesome, and I'm I'm glad that you keep up with this show and that you keep these issues in the media because that's part of the problem is keeping attention on 
all of these native issues because they're a flash in the pan when it comes to mainstream media, and you only get two minutes of information and then it's gone. But with a show like yours, you can dive into these really critical issues in a really detailed way, in a more informed way. I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, uh, Shawnee Rice. Shawnee, this is a pampometer, uh, and I encourage you to follow some of her work. She's been doing some great stuff. And, Absolutely. And Shawnee's very active. Uh, she's, a, she's a bit of an activist herself. And she's, uh, she manages to, to, to plug herself into issues relating to you know, uh, gender issues, environmental issues, social justice issues. So she's an activist in her own right. So uh, I've got to give her props, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, Pam, one of the things I wanted to, uh, specifically I wanted to talk to you about, um, I had uh, Laura Kuji, who is a poet, and she travels with Jeff Doreen, who, who does uh, songs, uh, Beatles songs in, in Mohawk. Um, so I don't know if you know, are familiar with any of Jeff's work. Um, but um, I, when having the opportunity to talk with Laura, who is uh, very involved in missing and murdered indigenous uh, women's issues and, uh, and two-spirit issues and that kind of thing, one of the things that... that I and I'm not, I'm not saying that I wrestled with it, but um, when when I heard this this commission that was done on missing and murdered Indigenous women came up with the determination and literally you know charged Canada with genocide as it related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, I had to I had to give that a little pause and and, and look and by no means am I minimizing what uh, what what the missing and murdered Indigenous women issue is, but understanding that genocide has in its goal the um uh, to to eliminate a people and and as as much as heinous uh, th- as the crimes are against women uh, in, and and others but but against women in particular indigenous women i wasn't sure if if the designation of genocide was was entirely um justified and so laura set me straight and i want you to set me even yeah. further straight because i do know that in order to, to make that case, you've got to talk about not, not only the systemic nature of the problem, but the, the policy-driven nature of the problem. So, I mean, so I want you to have at it. Yeah, so, I mean, th- that has been the issue since the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls released their final report and all of their recommendations. Um, the instantaneous debate by, you know, most journalists was, whether or not genocide was suitable. And the problem with the debate was that the people who were having it didn't even refer to the legal definition of genocide. So genocide is actually a crime in in international law, not just because of the UN Convention that makes it a crime, but also because of decades and decades of what's called customary international law, law that develops over time from court cases. And people think that the standard for genocide is the Holocaust, because whenever they've heard the word, if they've heard it at all, it's in relation to a place um, or a time where there was mass killings um, of you know, millions of people and people think of the Holocaust. They don't know that there's actually a law that says there's many ways that you can commit genocide, and it's not all, what you need is the intent to destroy in whole or just in part well, that's true, a particular yeah. racial group. So it's not that you have to eliminate all of them. And the other thing about it is people think it's only about killing the members of that group, but it's not. There's actually five different ways to commit genocide, and you only need to be guilty of one. So, of course, killing people, um, causing seriously serious bodily or, mentally har- or mental harm, uh, the con- creating the conditions of life 
that's calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, uh, preventing births within a group, or the forced transfer of children from that group to another group. Any one of those things is legally genocide, not only by the convention, but by customary international law. So that's what we're doing then right now. Well, I mean... If it's forcing yeah. the children, the United States, if it's forcing children away from their original group. Sure. That yeah, would it, be genocide, exactly. right? Yeah. It is. It is legally oh genocide. But the problem is, is that when Western democracies... It's a lot easier to look at other countries that they don't like that are of different cultures or different eras and say, oh, look, they're committing genocide. But when you have to put the focus on you and, I mean, in Canada, we have what even Canada has said is a humanitarian crisis of the forced transfer of Native children into white families. And that's Mm. been going on and it's getting worse and worse and worse and it's leading to their deaths and you know, they go murdered and disappeared as, as these young girls and, and young boys. Well, and, and this is this is an extension of, uh, I don't want to say necessarily just an extension, but this is like the, the residential school yes. policy continuing in terms of yes. foster care um, and, and, again, displacing children from their families. So the very practice that existed for over 100 years of residential schools in both the yes. U.S. and Canada continue on both sides with this foster care and this, uh, this stripping of children away from, uh, I mean, the crazy part is, when you get into the situation where you where you're suggesting that a specific child is going to be better off in a home that's not a native home yeah. you are you're you're trying to look at the individual without looking at the effect that you have on a people this is where the whole thing becomes this debate over about, about genocide because if you're going to eliminate a culture and strip a culture away from a child by 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 putting that child in a situation where they will have no cultural connection no and and that mm-hmm. and in that cultural connection that the connection is also with land as well not just with yep. with language and people so yeah so the, the, and i think people don't understand that the the role that the, that the governments have played and this is again getting back to that issue about it being systemic is when you have policies that on the face of it saying, well, this is what's good for the individual child, but it's terrible for the people. And, and it's not necessarily even good, good for the individual child either. Well, and the thing about it is, is that, um, you know, many people misunderstand Canadian, at least Canadian government policy, to be benign, to right. be well-intentioned. But there is more than enough historical evidence to show what was their intention. And it was to, quote-unquote, get rid of the Indian problem. It was to clear the plains, ethnic cleansing. And when their own lawyers, their justice lawyers, said, you know, what you're doing brings you very close to the crime of manslaughter, they're like, well, that's no reason to stop this policy because we just want, quote-unquote, the final solution. Well, and you say, quote-unquote, but the reason we know that that's the intent is because it is well-documented. I mean, there have been yes. politicians ranging from uh, the current prime minister's father, yep. uh, going far, much farther back than that, and including some of the language from Justin Trudeau himself. I mean, some of the things that he says, if you put them in their proper context, you realize are still perpetuating the same, the same genocidal yep. policy. And then how can you argue with a policy? So, I mean, we were just talking about the forced transfer of kids, which happened, you know, residential schools and foster care, which the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada found to be genocide. But then there's also the preventing births in a group. In Canada, we have the situation, just like you did in the U.S., of forced and coerced sterilizations, not just in Mm. history, but are ongoing. We're in the middle of a class action suit for ongoing 
forced and coerced sterilization. And by and, and, by, and what, the other thing about forced, some of these were done where the women didn't even know it. Yes, they they were led knowledge. to believe they were going they were going in for some other treatment and because uh, of you know. totally lying or because of like medical jargon not being oh they just never told clear. them I mean again yeah. once these children were in these residential schools especially they were completely wards of the of the institution not of the state of the of the institution they could do anything they wanted to those mm-hmm. children they didn't need any permission permission from the parents or anything else and so some of that stuff not only con- would actually continue through. Uh, um, Indian Health Services on the U.S. side and whatever the agency is on the, on the Canadian side. But it, it absolutely continues. Yeah. And here's the, here's the really sick part about the modern forced and coerced sterilization, is that people t- in today's day and age are being forced against their will to be sterilized and then coerced by social workers who take their children away and say, your kids are going into foster care, and unless you... Or get yourself sterilized, you're never going to see your kids again. So they're wrongly taken to begin with. Then they're forced to have a, steri- you know, a sterilization procedure in order to get their kids back, which, again, is without consent because it's undue duress. What? So then you've got two factors of genocide implicated there. What is the context to how a social worker is prescribing a woman to become sterilized in order to get kids? Is that, like, court-mandated? Is that policy there no, th- what is this that? Is, so this is a problem and it happens in a whole bunch of different ways depending on which province you're in but generally what happens is social workers are way overstepping their bounds That's so they're saying you insane. know you don't have enough food you don't have enough food in your cupboards mm. you don't have enough beds for your kids you're not providing a good life for them so we're going to take your kids and oh by the way oh. um i'm going to go meet with your doctor and you and lay down the law and say if you have any more kids which you're not, you know, prepared to take care of, then we're, we're, um, we're not going to give you your kids back unless you be sterilized. And that's in conjunction with doctors. So you've got these social workers forcing women to do this on racist assumptions about what makes a good parent and what doesn't make a good parent. And we all know why Native women might be living in poverty because of the land theft, dispossession, failure. Well, and I think that's the, right. the main issue is to understand that the poverty in the first place is policy-driven. Um, yes. And, and yes. it doesn't take much of a history lesson to, to explain how Native people end up in a situation where, right. where, uh, where they're living in such abject poverty, especially when they're living within their Native communities, but not only there, even, whether it's in the, even in the urban areas. So I just wanted to also clarify, because this is just uh, news to me, but is this levels of like economic, so like this, could, this idea of being forced to be sterilized could happen to like poor white women, or is it specifically for indigenous It's people? just, I mean, we haven't heard of any situations where this is happening to poor white women, oh white God. women in modern days. Um, we know that it used Great. to happen to women with mental health issues or who were institutionalized like a long time ago. Oh, okay. uh, but today it's, I mean, the number one reason why kids are being taken is allegedly for conditions of poverty. Then they're being forced or coerced to have sterilizations. But, you know, you can't forget about the fact that actually creating these impoverished conditions is, again, a a factor of genocide. And our Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has already found that the number one reason why Native kids go into foster care is because of poverty and discriminatory race-based underfunding of social programs and services. So they get far less 
than what Canadians get in terms of health. Education. Let me let me touch on something that you you kind of went past when you're talking about non-native people. The, you know, when you talk about people who are mentally disabled, you have to understand that both on the U.S. and the Canadian side, being native was be, yeah. was considered a mental disability. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, we had that in our in, in our in our Indian Act as well. In in both the U.S. and Canada, that, and that's why they call. I mean, they literally would label native children in particular but you know because they were the ones they could they could claim uh you know take possession of that they were uh, you know that they were mentally handicapped because just by virtue of being native here in canada under the indian act they were called mentally incompetent indians sure yep that, there you go yeah well and of course they use that mental competence incompetency for any number of things i mean yeah. uh when it came to you know taking you know, uh well, I, I did. Uh, I had the author of um, Killers of the Flower Moon on my show uh, when when, his, when David Graham first put the book out, and that's about the Osage murders. And that's where all of these these wealthy Osage who had oil revenue were all uh, forced to have a white guardian approve all of their expenditures mm-hmm. because they were yeah. considered mentally incompetent to to manage their own affairs. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, one of the things, okay, we've, we talked about those conditions that are created, but yeah. one of the things that I think is clear when it comes to specifically to missing and murdered Indigenous women is that you not only have a level of incompetence um, and, you know, an absence of any prioritization associated with missing and uh, murdered Indigenous women uh, by police, you know, um, policing agencies, yep. government in general, and worse, you have a... And a significant number of police authorities or, or agencies that are involved in the uh, yeah. in, in the actual uh, victimization of women. Exactly. And so that was my research. So I had um, legal standing before the National Inquiry, which meant we could do like oral and written submissions. And and each one of us had our own particular focus. And mine was on police as perpetrators, mm-hmm. so police officers involved in the violent uh, rapes murders and disappearances of indigenous women and girls police officers who are involved in the child porn rings uh human trafficking uh forced prostitution all, um and, and the regular kind of physical abuse uh in police custody deaths in police custody we can't we can't focused. leave we can't leave men and boys out of the out of the mix either although no, no. Mo- much of our concentration is on women and girls two spirit. Uh, we yeah. and, and, and two spirit uh as well because it it, it covers all of it i think there, there's there's probably a little question that uh, you know that there's a prior a, probably a higher um, number of, of women who are victimized uh, because of the male dominant culture in general, um, and the, of course the sexualization of women, the native women, and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. you know, when I think about what, what do they call those things where the cops uh, grab somebody and, and they take them way off into the uh, off? What do they call them? Starlight tours or, or starlight mi- tours? Tar- yeah. And yeah. this is for those of you who may be listening to the show who never heard of this. This is where police officers will grab a, a, a man or a woman. Um, and then take them miles away. And keep in mind, this is this is on the Canadian side where the climate's a bit cooler, especially at night. And they would take these people and and threaten to drop them off, or indeed drop them off miles away from uh, from any uh, any any population. And and just and if they died, then they were just another missing and murdered. They were often assaulted. 
mm-hmm. uh, ahead of time. Their clothes would be taken. Their boots would be taken. I mean, here we can have like minus 40 degrees Celsius weather. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it knowing that they'll die. The difference between what police do in Starlight Tours with Indigenous men versus Indigenous women is for Indigenous women, they commit um, acts of sexualized violence. So they rape, abuse, and torture them, and then drop them off on the outskirts of town. So that's why this National Inquiry focused very much on women, because there is a unique phenomena of male violence against women in general, but specifically state officials engaged in sexualized violence against Native women. Hmm. Well, you know, so there, you, you've had two commissions. You had one on the... On the um, uh, residential schools, yep. and that came up with the determination of genocide. Although I will say, yep. I, I I was really disappointed that when Murray Sinclair issued his uh, his ruling, that he felt the need to put uh, a precursor in front of the word genocide and, and referred to it as cultural genocide, mm-hmm. as if that's really a thing. I mean, it, actually, actually, the first page of the Truth and Reconciliation Report says. Not only was it cultural genocide, but in all of its dealings with indigenous peoples, it was cultural, physical, and biological genocide. Well, unfortunately, so we the, actually use those three. Unfortunately, every time Murray uh, Sinclair talked about it, he he always and it almost seemed like they like you know like this was some sort of uh, you know uh, you know. Just, just a cultural issue and not a physical issue, and as if you know, stripping culture doesn't have yeah. uh, a physical, you know, uh, bearing as and well. And mental but, harm, yeah, exactly. Mental. That causes mental harm, which is a category of genocide. So, I mean, and the, and the thing is, I mean, you're raising a good point because the TRC made this finding of genocide. It got like no attention at all. And it wasn't until the National Inquiry issued genocide, and it was by these Indigenous women commissioners primarily, and everyone just, what? They don't know what they're talking about. It can't be genocide. And, and, it's, and my point was, wait a second, what are you so shocked about? We already have a TRC, a public commission that found genocide. Why, why the shock and outrage now, except for the fact that it's about Indigenous women and girls? I think that's also why the word culture are in front of it makes it it's like so intentional is because if you say flat out genocide it's more it's more in your face and it's yep. more harder to ignore but when you're saying cultural it's like okay well you're still here so are you well, we just yeah. took your, we, you, we, we took your arts and crafts away or Indians something like just that. complaining yeah. about your culture yet again sort of thing so it paints exactly. a different narrative yeah 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 and and that's what what this national inquiry didn't do like when we made our submissions, I said you need to make this finding. Don't put any adjectives on it. It's Don't sugarcoat it. Right. Yeah, it's genocide, and it doesn't matter if you find Canada guilty of one of the five things or all five things. I mean, my submission was they're guilty of all five. And the other thing I think it's important for your listeners to know is, you know, it's not just the act of committing genocide or the conspiracy to do it or trying to incite other people to do it. It's also complicity in genocide. So when the Canadian state sits back and allows its police officers to rape and torture and beat and murder indigenous women and girls and and participate in human trafficking and child porn rings that's complicity and and actually complicity under the international definition of genocide is genocide yeah still the crime of genocide and so people really think it's about intent it's about killing but it's about all of these things or any one of them to be on the hook well, and and again, one of the things that concerns me is that, as you said earlier in the, uh, at, the, at the beginning of our conversation here, if you only think of genocide in terms of murder, 
uh, at, you know, massacres yeah. or, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, the, the Jewish Holocaust or something like yep. that. If you don't consider the fact that there are, a, there are people who are struggling to survive because of policy, because of uh, behavior, because of racism, because of all of these things, yeah. um, then and, and when governments do little or nothing or worse, uh, are complicit or actively yeah. involved in, the, yeah. uh, in it. And, that, and that's what we see. I mean, I, I just think it, uh, I think that there has to be some ownership to this. To this. And and even with this, these well, now the two reports, there seems to be a level of, of denial and oh, rejection yeah. that uh, that continues and of course that's just on the canadians I, the united states hasn't even <laughs> begun to uh, to own i mean they you know you mentioned the word reparations when it comes to slavery and and people start to lose their mind for of course forgetting that native people were enslaved as well by the way <laughs> yeah well exactly and everything that was done to native people and, right. and the other thing is is that I mean, they, they may be in denial mode now, but this is actually very serious because the people that can be punished criminally for genocide are not just the so-called constitutionally responsible rulers, uh, you know, whatever that is defined in a country, but it could be any of the public officials, any of the ministers, or private individuals. So, you know, anybody can be, you know, a part of this. And, you know, they're clearly denying it for liability reasons. But if Canada was the human rights defending country that it claims to be, it would stand up before the world and say, this is how you take responsibility for genocide. You don't deny it like all the other states' perpetrators of genocide. Of course, they deny it. You stand up, you take responsibility, and you let the chips fall where they may, which means You deal with the criminal aspect of it, the civil liability, the compensation, the reparations, and you just go ahead and do it. But until there's a country in this planet that's willing to stand up and say, you know, we're going to take responsibility for it, and this is how you deal with genocide and make reparation, then it'll always just be state perpetrators of genocide living in denial and the genocide continuing. Well, and I think that's the biggest issue is that it's it's hard to talk about what to do about past or you know the, these past you know uh, activities when they continue every day and yeah. and that's you know that's the the conversation we have here on the show and, and on my show back home all the time is look we're not talking about just a bad about bad history when we talk about the doctrine of christian discovery if we talk about you know what children have gone through and women have gone through in the past we we have to frame it within the modern era that we're living in that much of this stuff continues yeah. when canada votes against the un declaration of the rights of indigenous peoples along with the united states australia and new zealand new zealand i mean they they took a position against allowing a minimum standard to be established yeah. which really only let native people be regarded as human beings because they already had the declaration of the rights of or human yeah. rights and exactly. this was just a, just to make a, a finer point and 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 added very very little new to to the idea other than recognizing that we had they that, that the states have an obligation to recognize that we have the right to maintain a level of distinction, even as yeah. a state is imposed its, its will all around us. And, of course, that doesn't even get into, you know, native sovereignty and some of the issues that, yeah. you know, that yeah. you and I, you know, have talked about in the past. Yeah. Um, and, and we have a lot more to talk about. Pam, now that I've uh, we've. 
we've cracked the ice again here, and and I, I really want to have you come back. I want to talk, have you talk about some of the other issues. You know, obviously your two books are both um, associated with with identity, but we we've got suicide issues. We've yes. got. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, as as we spoke earlier that there's this ongoing effort to uh, force municipal municipalization on on native territory to turn yep. all of our native territories mm-hmm. into small Canadian municipalities and there's a certain level of complicity that elected or appointed or however they're they're determined um tribal leaders you know play a role in the in this thing and 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 we need to talk about some of that going going uh coming down the road as well well that's awesome let's plan for about five hour show next time (laughs) there we go well you know every once in a while we pull off uh you know special events down here uh in new york and you know, we, we really should, uh, you know, maybe when we get a close to uh, uh, this, the, uh, when we're, we're pushing for this Indigenous Peoples Day to replace uh, Columbus Day, maybe we'll do a special. We'll get a, we'll get a two-hour yeah. special or something yeah, like that good. lined up for something like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, let's, let's work on that. Pam, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, again, your, your two books are, one is um, Beyond Blood, Rethinking in, uh, Indigenous Identity and Indigenous Nationhood, Empowering Grassroots Citizens. Um, you can find both of those on your website, which is www.pampometer, one word, and that's P-A-M-P-A-L-M-A-T-E-R.com, Pam Pometer. Um, that, that's Dr. Pam Pometer, I guess. I, 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 I leave the, uh, you know, I leave all the, the titles, uh, titles yeah. off. Uh, you're just Pam to me, darn it. Yeah, exactly. I'm just Pam to me, too. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us here. It's, it's been great having you, and I look forward to having you uh, come back. And, and if you're ever in New York, and I know you yeah. travel sometimes. When yeah, next time I you're do. done, and I go to New York a couple times a year. Well, we're gonna have to get you in the studio. We love, we we air okay. this. Uh, we we stream this video of this show on on Facebook and everything. So uh, right now it's just got Shawnee and I on it, and your and your voice. So next time we'll have <laughs> your face in there, maybe. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for having me. Of course, it was so nice to hear from you. All right. That's uh, that's Pam Palmer. She is the uh, uh, professor of, of law at Ryerson University. She's uh, uh, she is an author of uh, two books, which you can find at her website, which is www.pampometer.com. She's on Facebook. Uh, she's she's everywhere. Look her up on, uh, uh, you know, Google her and you'll you'll find her podcast. You'll find some of her appearances on uh, a, a number of the uh, the news magazine shows on the Canadian side. And she is, uh, you know, she's been at this work for for quite some time and she she remains very active on all of the critical issues that native people face so again uh, my greatest thanks to pam palmer for joining us for the half hour i really hope that you like that discussion with john kane and shawnee rice thank you to all of my listeners for tuning into my show warrior life like i said i will post all of the information and links to john kane's show let's talk native in the description box If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. Make sure to also leave me your show ideas in the comment section. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but I'm also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can follow me on social media like Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter as I talk about warrior living, and I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe to my videos on YouTube, where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing Indigenous peoples, and I've also started a new Reconciliation Book Club on YouTube, so you have to check it out. If you would like to help me keep my media totally independent, 
you can support me on Patreon, and I'll leave a link to that website below as well. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. <laughs>